Good morning. We got this thing working today. <clears throat> Why don't you uh, take your Bible and just turn to Psalms 42 for a minute? I, uh, I was trying to think back to a time frame, and we just a few weeks ago finished up talking about the Holy Spirit, what his work is, and what he's doing, how he does it, how he works in our life to keep us free. And uh, before that, I felt like the Lord wanted me to share about the secret place again. And he said, no, not yet. So we did the deal on the Holy Spirit, talked about that. So we got through with that. I thought, okay, now we're going to talk about the secret place. And he kind of said, well, not so fast, big boy. And he dropped this in my heart. And this is going to be kind of where we key off with today because we're going there. We're going to go back and talk about the secret place and the time with the Lord because, folks, it's paramount to everything. I mean, if, if you think you're going to have an intimate fellowship with the Lord on the fly, it's not going to happen. There's going to always be interruptions. There's always going to be struggles, always going to be things that pull you away. It just doesn't happen. It happens because we do it with intention. We do it deliberately. We do it with determination. And so it's, it's critical to everything. It's, it's critical to your relationship with your spouse. God will do things in the quiet time, in the secret place in your heart that will change your relationship with your spouse. He'll do that. Who will change your spouse? Who will change you? And that changes your spouse. About your kids, he'll do things in your heart to give you grace to deal with your children, to deal with your kids, with your job. It just is all-encompassing. Everything emanates from that secret place that we develop in our life with the Lord. And so he dropped this in my heart, and he said, until something missing is restored, you won't seek me consistently. Huh. Until something missing is restored, you won't seek me consistently. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we cover this this morning. In Psalms chapter 42, and I think we've got those on the overhead. All right, Psalms chapter 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul. Pants for you. Oh, God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. There's something in me that craves you, that longs for you. And the only comparison is watching a deer who is dry. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I need, I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Don't you read that last part again? These things I remember. Now, what, what, do you, what happens when you remember? It means you recall something that happened before. And he says, there was something that happened before, and I recall what happened before. And I pour out my soul within me, the implication being, I long for what was before. As the deer pants for the water, my soul longs for you. I remember what it used to be like, and I long for that again. I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. There was something in me back in this particular time that resulted in joy and thanksgiving in my life. I even led people in this, he says. I remember that. I recall that. I look in Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly, deliberately, intentionally, with purpose, not haphazardly, not on the fly, not as a matter of chance. I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The only way to describe the absence of that longing for God is a dry land. I've heard many people several times talk about their Christian life and their, their explanation for lack of words is just, it, I'm so dry. And that's what David's saying. I long for you in this dry land. Psalm 73, verse 25. Very simple. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What a statement. To say that in honesty, there is nothing I desire on this earth but you. What a longing David must have felt in his heart. This is a guy who had a lot of things. This is a guy who was a king, but people at his command. He said, I don't even desire this. 
on earth. I desire you. Psalms 119 verse 81 says, My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. Couldn't have picked a better song today. I didn't know they were going to do this. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. Waiting on the Lord is active. Waiting on the Lord is deliberate. Waiting on the Lord is intentional. He says, I will wait for you. Psalms 143, verse 5 and 6. Here's this phrase again. You'll notice this over and over and over again in Psalms. I remember. I remember. It was a certain way. It's not that way now. But I remember what it was. Over and again, David says that. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Muse means I think long and hard on the work of your hands. I remember what was, it's not now, but I think long and hard about what it used to be, about it was at one time. I stretch out my hands to you, my soul long, on that passion out. It's not good. First Corinthians chapter one, verse four through nine says, gives us a little more clarity. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes a statement. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is this drawing? What's the fulfillment of this drawing? God places this drawing inside of us. It looks like longing. It looks like passion. It looks like craving. It looks like desire. What is the fulfillment of that? The fulfillment of that is fellowship with Christ, period. Nothing else satisfies but that fellowship with him. That's what we're called for. That's what we're called to. That's what he drags us to. That's what he draws us to. All of this yearning, all of this emptiness, all of this craving, all of this desire for fulfillment is only satisfied in deep, intimate fellowship with Christ. And when we meet God, the fulfillment of that longing is realized. We discover I'm talking about when we first come to know Christ, that longing is satisfied. That reality is fulfilled in us. We discover, wow, this is what my heart has longed for all along. I thought it was sex. 
I thought it was money. I thought it was possessions. I thought it was power. I thought it was prestige. I thought it was security. I thought it was a bank account. I thought it was getting people to like me. I thought it was all of this stuff. And as I tried all that stuff, it just didn't bring fulfillment. This has brought fulfillment to my life. I am full. I am complete. We feel that what had been missing has now been found. And for the first time in our life, we have a sense of completeness. We have a sense, I can't get enough of this. I, 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 can't, I just can't get enough of this. I, I just want all of it I can get. And even at that, we realize as much as we have experienced, we've only taken a sip from the ocean because there's so much more. There's so much more. Now, how does God, what does God do in us to keep us pursuing the more? So, but somehow we've gotten this idea that Jesus saves us. <laughs> My work is done. You're on your own. That's not true. Even as a believer, he continues to draw us out into the ocean, out into the depths, out into more of him. How does he do it? The same way he did it before we met, us, met the Lord. He lets us see that everything we try to taste as a substitute will be tasteless. Now it might be ministry. And we get to the point where ministry is just in mechanical and it's tasteless. Preaching becomes tasteless. Prophesying becomes tasteless because nothing will substitute for that fellowship with God, even the things of God will not substitute for intimate fellowship with him. There's so much more to be had. Now, let me just say this. If that is not your salvation experience, with as much grace and humility as I can find, I encourage you to reexamine your salvation experience. You may have done everything man told you to do, but not known what God was calling on you to do, and you missed it. When Billy Graham was alive, his assessment of the church was this. At one time, he said he felt like that 90% of the church members were not Christians. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's beyond that today. You met God, and it wasn't life-changing? Really? What God did you meet? Examine it. Verse 9 gives us a lot more insight into this when he calls us into fellowship with his son. He continues to draw us, to give us that longing 
to know him deeper, to discover more of what he is like. Now, listen, take note of this. Be very careful. My response to that call, my response to that longing, my response to that drawing reveals a great deal about the spiritual condition of my heart. And spiritual condition is always about the heart. Always. What I desire, what I long for, what I'm passionate about. Condition, the spiritual condition of our heart is not determined by whether or not I read the Bible. I talk to people all the time. I read the Bible through. I've read the Bible through twice. That's great. My question is, did you meet Christ in any of that time? It's not about the external exercise. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't read your Bible, but I'm saying don't read it for reading's sake. Don't read it thinking you're more spiritual just because you read it. Church attendance, leading music, preaching, worshiping. We've exchanged the God of preaching for the God of a worship team. This is the utopia. I wish you knew the heart of these guys. We are so blessed. They could really care less whether you like them or not. And that blesses me. When it comes to fellowship with Christ, is it something longed for or is it just something I'm supposed to do? That reveals the spiritual condition of my heart. Am I passionate for it? I long for it or is it just something else to do? Does it come from a longing inside to be with him or an obligation to check the box? If you weren't Baptist, that doesn't mean anything to you. But as a Baptist, they used to give you these envelopes, and it had a scorecard on the envelope. And you'd go through and check. Read your Bible this week? Check. Visit this? Check. Do this? Check. Do this? Check. If you do that, you got 100 at the end. I was lost as a goose. I checked here. I checked that. Didn't say anything about lying. Yeah, I'll check it. Is that our posture toward fellowship with God? Is it just an obligation? It's just something we do? Does it come from a deep longing in my soul to know him and to be known by him or just something I'm supposed to do in order to be a good Christian? Or has it just been ignored and abandoned altogether? substituted for other things in hopes of finding contentment and happiness, hoping the desire will just go away and quit. The drawing will stop. Just leave me alone. One writer described it as the hound of heaven. He just stays at it. Thank God he stays at it. 
Thank God he continues to pursue us. But my response to that pursue reveals the condition of my heart. It's always and still is about the heart. Psalms 51.10, David said, create in me a clean heart. Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Jesus said to the Pharisees, this wasn't the lost, this was church people. He addresses this with, and he says, these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's always and still is about the heart, the condition of our heart. At one time, that longing, that yearning, that desire deep inside of us was there. If you ever met God, it was there. How do I know it was there? God put it there. And I am counting on his faithfulness, not yours. His faithfulness, not mine. He puts that desire there. And when we respond to it and meet him, he fills that up with himself. What happened that our fellowshipping with him is no longer a passion, but an option? I might get around to it. Now, we have a hard time even recognizing that longing. We have a hard time even recognizing that drawing. And we think we have succeeded. I don't have to worry about that anymore. One of the best pictures of what happens to us and what brings us back is found in Luke chapter 15. Now, this is the story of the prodigal son, and you can turn there if you want to. It's in uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're just going to hit some highlights on it because I, I know you know the story. I'm going to read parts of it to you. It says, the man had two sons. Younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Let me explain something to you. We can have a prodigal heart and never change physical locations. All we have to do is look elsewhere for fulfillment. All we have to do is look elsewhere for satisfaction. That's what he did. He physically changed locations, but the issue was in his heart. It wasn't where the location of where he was. The story doesn't really tell us what prompted the son to bring about his disconnect with his situation. It doesn't really tell us, well, this, the, this, the, the son, this happened between the father and the son, and, the, and it doesn't say that. It just said he asked for his stuff, and he gave it to him. I think it's interesting that he didn't leave right away. See? 
And that's kind of ways we want to enjoy both stuffs. We want to enjoy God's stuff and my stuff. We want to enjoy what God's doing and what I'm doing. And finally, we just get fed up with the God's stuff and chalk it up altogether. At some point, even though he had everything he needed, he became dissatisfied and began looking elsewhere. At some point, what he had just didn't satisfy. And so he began to look elsewhere. Maybe he ceased being appreciative of what he had. Took it for granted. Maybe he ceased giving thanks for what the father provided. I'm entitled to it. I'm a son. Maybe he ceased having the father make decisions for him, wanted to make decisions for himself. And I'm kind of tired of this submitting thing. I'm kind of tired of this surrender thing. I kind of want to, and it just blows me away when young people make this statement. I want to make my mistakes for myself. You, you want to make mistakes? You, you made your mind up. You want to make mistakes. Yeah, and I want them to be mine. Well, okay. So let me know how that works. Maybe he ceased enjoying the fellowship he once had with the Father. Maybe he took offense. Something the Father said, something the Father did, or something the Father didn't do, and he made a choice. I'll show you. I'll give it a go on my own. I don't need you. We don't know. But I do know this. The wandering, the wandering heart of man always starts with an unfulfilled desire for God. The wandering heart for man always starts with an unfulfilled desire for God. Somewhere in this relationship, it ceased being fulfilling. Somewhere in my walk with Christ, it just wasn't that much fun anymore. Maybe we ceased giving thanks. Maybe we ceased being appreciative for what we had. The wandering heart of man always starts with an unfulfilled desire for God. Then, see, that starts to hear in my heart what I'm what I'm content with, what satisfies me, what brings fulfillment. Then a decision based on that unfulfillment is made to look elsewhere, someplace else other than the Father. Listen, that's why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, as he's talking to the church of Ephesus, and boy, he says some great things about the church in Ephesus. Man, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this, you've done that. I just have one thing against you. He says, you have left your first love. We mistranslate that sometimes. We say, you have lost your first love. That's not what it says. Lost indicates you don't remember where it's at. Left indicates 
deep down inside, you know exactly where it's at. You just went off and left it. You have left your first love. You have made a choice. It wasn't by accident. It was a conscious decision to seek satisfaction somewhere else. And, and folks, listen, please understand me. I'm not talking about all the bad sins, okay? Uh, we, we, we typically don't leave God. Sometimes people do. But, you know, killing somebody, you know, ah, that's way down the list. Wanting to kill somebody, now that's a different story. But we don't ever, that's not what, I'm not talking about committing adultery. I'm not talking about selling drugs. I'm not talking about all those horrible things. I'm talking about just looking for fulfillment somewhere else besides Christ. And it may be legitimate things, and it may be things that God has been okay with up until this point. And he's saying, you don't understand. That's an attempt to find fulfillment apart from me. Is it bad? It doesn't matter. Is it evil? It doesn't matter. It matters in the fact that it's taking the place of me in fellowship with you. That's why Jesus said you left your first love. And when we do, we lose the passion we lose the longing that we had for him and his presence. Spiritual things. Now, we might still be doing spiritual things. We may still be going to church. We may be still leading a Bible study. We may still be with, We may be doing all of those things, but they become mechanical and they become religious. They don't come out of a relationship of life with him, if we attempt them at all. We become like a man, and all of you men will understand this. You become, we become like a man with a remote control and a TV. Give me something that satisfies. Give me something that, give me a channel that makes me feel good. Give me a channel, something. And we do that with life. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I want to try this. Nothing satisfies. We change the channel. Look for something new. And it never brings contentment. In verse 14, it says, now when he'd spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to them. All of that longing, once it leaves, led to an impoverishment of his very being. Empty. Empty. But God. And what we said, God always draws. Here he has reached the limit. He has reached the depth of everything that he tried to find to substitute for God. And yet there's still something in him that draws him back. Look, he says in verse uh, 17, 
But when he came to his senses, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, he draws us back. I want you to notice something. There was no great sense of, in this guy's heart about, I have offended my father. I have hurt his feelings. I have not lived up to him to my expectations. I have not been the son he would like for me to be. And my father is hurt by that. And I must return and make my father happy. That wasn't his motivation. His motivation was, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Everything I've tried still makes me hungry. Everything I've attempted has been unsatisfying. I'm hungry. I want to be complete again. I want to be full again. I want to be filled again. There was no great sense of wronging. He was just hungry. Nothing satisfied. Here's what. Here's the best description of it. The son had experienced the abundance of the father. He had. He experienced the abundance of the father. And he left it. And when the awareness of that loss hit him, the longing for that bounty was renewed. He never saw it between him and his father. He said, man, I'm hungry. I'm empty. Only after becoming completely discontent with the things he had sought fullness from did he desire to return. Let me ask you something. Are you completely dissatisfied yet? How much hungrier are you going to have to get? How much deeper is this longing going to have to get? How much more evident is this emptiness going to have to begin? Or are you still trying to fill it somewhere else? Change didn't result from him realizing he'd hurt his father. But he realized he was impoverished. What he tried came up short. He was hungry. We never stop that God-given drive for God. We just drown it out with attempts at finding fulfillment somewhere else. For a while, he drowned that hunger out in things that didn't satisfy. When those are exhausted, the call of the Spirit, the fellowship with Christ is heard once more. Then we have to decide what choice will be made. Only that restored longing for God. And here's the relevance of this. Only that restored longing for God will make the secret place appealing to me. Only 
a restored craving for more of God will make the secret place compelling. I can talk about the secret place until we're both blue in the face. But until we're sick and tired of looking somewhere else for fulfillment, will we not long for his presence? And that's the question. Is that longing there? Is the longing for him there? It's not about me trying to get you to go to the secret place. It's about you getting your heart to want to go. Because if you don't want to go, your attempts at going will be mechanical and religious. But when there's a derive in your heart for more of him, a longing in your heart for more of him, and, <clears throat> and you know where to find it, you can't wait to get there. The issue is not about how to. The issue is about want to. What's in my wanter? Until passion is restored, our attempts will be forced, a struggle, and short-lived. David's cry again and again was, revive me, O God. Take me back to where I was with you. My heart, my longing. <clears throat> Let me give you some pointers. First of all, ask God to cleanse your heart. Okay? By asking him this question. If I don't long for you, what do I long for? David said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. David didn't say, I'm going to clean my heart up. He can't clean his heart. Only the Father can clean our heart. But he knew enough to go to the Father and say, Father, you Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. You try my heart. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He knew enough to ask God. I want to challenge you to ask God. Ask God to cleanse your heart. Ask him this question. If I don't long for you, what do I long for? Second of all, cooperate with him with what God reveals has replaced him. Cooperate with God as he reveals what has replaced him. Let me show you something. This, is, this really just blew me away. In Psalms 119, verse 33, is a perfect picture of cooperating with God. It's not David trying to do it with God. It's David doing it with God. And you see God 
David crying out for God to respond, and then David responding by what his part is, okay? It's a great picture of cooperation. Psalms 119, 33. Teach me, O God, the way of your statutes. You teach me the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. That's cooperation. I can't observe it till you teach me. When you teach me, I can observe it, but I can't observe it till you teach me. I can't get rid of in my life what's replacing you if you don't show me what's replacing you. I'll just be guessing, presuming. Teach me, O God, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Here he is again. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. God, I need your understanding in order to keep your law, to keep your word. I need your perspective. Cooperation. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Lord, I need you to work in me that I can walk in your paths. I mean, let me just ask some. How many times have we tried to walk in obedience in our own strength? Coming up with what we think God wants. Trying to do it. Trying harder to do it. Then trying again to do it. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. They're working together. They're cooperating. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. God, I don't want to see vanity. Turn my heart from there. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Cooperate with God as he reveals what has replaced him. And here's the last one. Recall. Remember the things he has done and who he is from Scripture and from your own life. Recall the things he's done to draw you. Remember the things he did to rescue you. Remember the things he did to heal your heart. Meditate on those things. Recall those things specifically in our personal life. In Psalms alone, 26 times, we are encouraged to remember. 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 And then the last one, ask him to renew your passion. And let me encourage you in this. Try not, I know it sounds contradictory, but as you look back and you see what you had, don't measure what God wants to give you with what you had. Okay? I hope my relationship with the Lord is a whole lot deeper than it was 
in July of 1971. But there was passion there. Now there's a new passion for deeper things and more things of God. Now when the Father, when the Son found the Father, everything he wanted, everything he needed was realized. Look at this. In every single one of us, there's that desire to be wanted. Not tolerated, but wanted. Yeah, God so loved the world, I'm part of the world, you got to love me. That don't cut it. Every one of us wants to know singularly that we matter to God. Where was that found? Well, the father saw him a long way off, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him, kissed him singularly. He longed for that. He wanted that, just like you and I long for that. Where was it found? Only back with the Father. To feel important, to feel valued. Another thing, it dispelled all the guilt and shame from leaving that kept him from coming back. It just dispelled that. Well, I don't know. You know, I'll just go back as a slave. I'll just clean my father's pig pens or whatever. I'll just go back. But the father brought out a robe of righteousness and said, you are right. You are right. You are right with me. This represents me. And it dispelled all that guilt and all that shame. We try so desperately, so many things. Get rid of the guilt. Get rid of the shame. I just just can't go to God. Where else are you going to get free from it? Nobody else has got a thing to offer. And the enemy uses that like a thumb on our face and keeps us from going back to the Father. He's not going to like us. He's going to put me in time out. He's going to sit me on a bench. And the young man went back, and he covered him in a robe of righteousness. What will the relationship will be like? Will I be a second-class citizen? And he comes out, and he puts a ring on his finger. It says, you and I are in covenant. That ring stands for covenant. You and I are in relationship with one, or st- one another. You are not the product of where you have been. You are not the product of what you have done. You are the product of a covenant relationship with the Father. No longer did he have to wonder if he would be accepted. No longer did he have to fret, am I going to be okay? He says, we're in covenant. Here's the evidence of it. Here's the ring. You are the father's son. You wanted to just be a slave. You're the father's son. Folks, I want to tell you something. All this guilt and shame that we carry around with us that, that just keeps us from going to the Father, one second with the Father and hear him say, you're mine, will dispel every bit of that if you let him, if you go there. Well, how am I going to live? How am I going mean, to, you know, you have to walk gingerly. You have to walk quietly. What the next thing he did is he gave a new pair of shoes. 
you're going to have a new walk. Everything necessary for a new walk came from the Father. You're going to walk like a son, not like a pig tender, not like who you were. Everything necessary for this new walk. What about our fellowship? Will we be able to have fellowship? You kill the fatted calf for a feast. Fellowship was left and now restored. There is a verse in Revelation that we have cherry-picked out of its context, and we use it in evangelism time and time and time again. And it's okay if, if we use it. I mean, it's all right for that, but there's so much more to it. Anybody know which verse that is? Revelation 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, lets me in, I'll come in. And then what? I will sup with him and he with me. I'll have fellowship with him. Jesus came into your heart to fellowship with you. He didn't come into your heart to work for his kingdom. He's got angels that do everything he says in an instant, and they never complain. But he lives in us for fellowship. That fellowship was restored in the presence of the Father. Honesty says, I do not have the passion for you that I once had. Start with being honest. If you don't, tell him. If you do, truck on. But we've got to be honest. We can't see changes in what we're not honest about. If we're going to be honest and there are changes, then our lifestyle is going to change. We'll be replacing the things that we embraced with more of him. Okay? Any questions? Any input? You're it. <laughs> Does the drawing always precede the longing, or do they sometimes work in tandem? Or the longing that? is the drawing. That's how the drawing is translated. That, that's our translation of the drawing is a longing. When I have that longing, that's God drawing me. When I have that emptiness, that's God drawing me. When I'm not finding that fulfillment, that's God drawing me. Thank God he doesn't just leave us to it. Say, so just go ahead and die. Okay? Anyone else? 